Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. In about two hours' time, at this point, we'll be watching Peculiarities of the National Hunt with uh, patrons and VIPs in our Discord. If you haven't been joining our Discord yet, might be a nice time to do so, especially if you are a patron. Next week, we shall be watching Peculiarities of the National... Uh, national fishing, I suppose? Because, um, well... These four movies in the series, by the way, they're really great and they're comedies and just enjoy them. And that's something that we need to do after we watch the horrible, very depressing movie, uh, Comment C, in my birthday. But for now, I have some interesting news for you today. Since we have to look at the front lines and also there's a new budget in Russia. And uh, Vladimir Putin, you might not even believe this out of stupendous randomness. However, he has learned some things about economy and how that works, and that if you cut subsidies to your oil producers who keep the gasoline prices artificially low, well then, um, yeah, they're going to increase the prices to reach market levels, because so far, well, uh, the Russians are complaining about outrageous gasoline prices in their own country, which will probably make all of my EU listeners laugh, definitely. And I don't know, if you're not from Saudi Arabia or something like that, then uh, it'll still make you envy them, but they're complaining about this whole situation. However, we must uh, take a look at what's happened in the Ukraine. Well, first of all, at the cost of heavy fighting, the armed forces of Ukraine managed to recapture what's left of uh, Robotnyi in the Orikhiv region of southern Ukraine, also taking back Klishivka and Adryivka, just south of Bakhmut. After these raids, the Ukrainian offensive has ground to a standstill. It's more or less a positional, for, uh, positional war right now. Gaining these small footholds has failed to translate into a strategic breakthrough for Ukraine. It has only forced the Russian troops to move to a new set of defensive positions. To advance further, the Ukrainian army must liberate several more, several more locations, each of which has by now been fortified by the invading Russian army. And again, the reason why this hasn't reached strategic levels is because, well, the West is once again super slow with the, the letting weapons, because everyone is afraid of escalation. And that is a very stupid thing to do, because Ukraine really blatantly needs more guns. It's quite possible the Ukrainian command might have a plan for further attempts at the breakthrough, but already next week, autumn rains are forecasted in southern Ukraine, which will likely complicate both maneuvering and bringing supplies to the front lines. But in general, in total, about Orihiv. The AFU's offensive in this theater is stuck within the Robotnyi, Novoprikovka, and Verbove triangle. While Robotnyi has been liberated in the late August, the assaults of Ukrainian units that reached the outskirts of Novoprohivka have all been de deflected by the Russian troops in this location. Fighting also continues at the outskirts of Verboya, where it's been happening since August, preventing the Ukrainian troops from proceeding further east. The Ukrainian command has diversified its assault tactics. The offensive is mostly conducted by small infantry units that bring armored machinery to the front line before retreating to the rear. In cooperation with artillery, infantrymen try to occupy the Russian stronghold at a time to secure new positions. This fairly effective tactic has one significant disadvantage. It does not permit the kind of deep breakthrough that could disrupt the enemy's defense system. Another disadvantage is the inevitable loss of manpower. For these reasons, the AFU periodically try to break through the Russian defenses with small mechanized units, but these attacks are usually ineffective, while costly, in terms of scarce equipment. Another problem for the Ukrainian grouping has to do with bringing supplies to the front line and evacuating the wounded. 
through the 10-kilometer, or about 6 miles, a wide wedge carved out by the AFU between the southern outskirts of Okhriv and Novoprokhrivka, Ukrainian equipment cannot move unimpeded. It comes under fire from artillery, anti-tank missile systems and drones. This prevents the Ukrainian army from accumulating sufficient forces for extending the offensive. Of course, similar problems arise with Russian equipment in their own near rear. The irony of the situation is in this area is that Ukrainian forward positions now make ample use of the fortified Surovikin line, erected by the Russian troops, but captured since by the Ukrainians. This means that the trenches and dugouts prepared by the Russian army the previous year now sheltered Ukrainian assault teams. It's possible that the AFU might eventually squeeze the Russian units out of Novoprokhivka and Verbove. Still, a deep breakthrough into the Russian defense remains unlikely. When the fall rains finally make the local and paved roads unsuitable for vehicles and equipment, conducting an offensive will only get more difficult. But now Bakhmut. After liberating Klishivka and Andriyevka south of Bakhmut, the AFU ran into a new defense line of the Russian armed forces which runs through the Khorivka-Bakhmut railway. The liberated villages themselves are located in a low-lying area between hills. This made defending them difficult for the Russian troops, whose movements were visible to the enemy, who occupied the hills to the west, even without having to use reconnaissance drones. And now Ukrainian assault groups are in a similar situation. Russian art- artillery, connected by scouts from the hills east of Klishivka, is striking at the AFU units near the railroad. Judging by the published videos, Ukrainian troops are trying to get to the other side of the railroad near Adrievka. For this new offensive to have any chance of success, the Ukrainian armed forces will probably have to storm Kurdjumimovka and Otrayevka, the villages immediately south. And that's about it. Again, it's turned into a positional war. But these are the best updates of the front lines that I have at this moment. However, the main story of today, and sorry, that was my vape just falling over. I have switched over from these one-time use vapes to a proper one, which costs way less because I'm trying to save money. Because, again, um, advertisement time. I have to do some adding. Sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to get married, after all. And that's, that's going to cost me a lot of money. I intend to have a small set of money and then go to a honeymoon to the United States, visit Texas. Texas and I, I hope to go to Las Vegas and see the Grand Canyon, too, because I haven't seen those things. So right now I'm just saving up things and taking care of my own health. If you want to help out, please consider becoming our patron on patreon.com slash easternborder or just clicking the donate button on theeasternborder.lv. You know, trying to stabilize in my life. I have to do a lot of paperwork. I still have to do my applications for the PhD studies somewhere and a lot of things that I just need to do in general, like EU projects and things like that. And psychotherapist also isn't that cheap. I really would hope to be able to, you know, put a, put aside at least some money, like, three, four hundred euros each month to save up for my wedding, and I can't do that without their help. So if you're interested in helping me out, please do. But, uh, you know, like I said, if you can't, don't. It's fine. I'm not that good of a show, at least I don't think so, for you to be, you know, going all out of your way, but thanks to all your support anyways. You're the best, guys, and uh, I really, really appreciate your help. But that's it for the ads, because I really hate monetizing my show, but, you know, it is what it is. What I really want to talk about is how Russia is now kind of talking about their new budget for the next year. And a lot of people are already talking because uh, Kiev Economics School, they have one. It's kind of like Swedish Economics School, but in Kiev, uh, they have been posting around the number of $15 billion. And 
it's kind of like they want to show why these sanctions that the EU and the United States put on Russia about the maximum oil price isn't working. But it's kind of like these numbers are weird because they've published them in a weird way because they're Ukrainians and their English might not be as well. Basically, what people say is that Russia is going to get $15 billion more than they got last year. However, that is not the case since I've been following the Russian budget quite closely and they already had a 40% loss in comparison to the last year. And even if they managed to get a $15 billion uh, increase in the next year, that still means they're going to get less than last year. So it's just impossible. What I gathered from everything is that the key of School of Economics, the $15 billion thing that they're saying around is like, Russia is getting $15 billion more than they would have gotten if this price, like, price cap would have worked. But the price cap on oil would have never worked because Russians are finding... Uh, counterparts and business partners all over the world and they are basically trading with them they're using insurance agencies for their oil tankers because obviously every oil tanker needs to be insured because of natural catastrophes and disasters you, you simply cannot move oil in a tanker from one, one one position to another if you if it's not insured and as the as the pipelines are shut down right now because eu is trying to cut it off cut itself off from Russian oil. So now they're selling it to the east where they don't have the, the pipelines, but they have like ship routes. So they're just doing that through third parties. A lot of them come from the Middle East, especially United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, and also, of course, India and China. So the best thing to do, which, by the way, United States are doing, I have to say something good about Biden here. Uh, they're moving diplomats over there to ensure that these uh, counterparts of the Russian Russian side are being, you know, put being being put to, to some sort of scrutiny so that they wouldn't do this in the future, which is good. However, yeah, these fifteen billion dollars that you hear, that's a that's a calculation of how much more Russia is earning in comparison to what they would earn if this price high, like price cap would have worked. But price cap would have never worked. It, it has caught into their budget earnings and everything. But in general, if you if you look at this in total, you know, life always finds a way and smuggling always exists. And we all know how business works. Well, at least, you know, you guys know. Most people in my country in Lafayette, they don't know. So they always think that it's always, you know, so awesome to run a small business, which it is not. Especially once you're dealing with media business, but it's a whole different story. Basically... For people who have no idea how economy works, this uh, report written by Kiev School of Economics, which wasn't written in the best of English, uh, is just you know showing that Russia is making glorious profits, which they're not. They're absolutely not. They're making a loss, which is why you know their predictions for the next year's budget in, in comparison to what Mishustin, their prime minister, who used to be a financier, what he says about all the situation, it's all the more surprising. Because, you know, if you look at this whole situation with, with Russia, they have this problem where they have a gasoline deficit, a gasoline shortage. So what's happening is that they used to sell their raw oil abroad and then buy in some gasoline and then produce some gasoline in themselves. But right now, as it's war, you know, they use gasoline primarily for the military. So but their production capacities have not increased. Therefore, there's a massive shortage of gasoline for civilian needs which hurts, by the way, the, the agricultural industry the most. Since, after all, tanks run on diesel. You know what else runs on diesel? Tractors and combines. All the stuff that you need to produce, 
you know, agricultural goods. Therefore, currently, the price for diesel has spiked up sky high in Russia, and there's little lack of it, and also some sorts of gasoline. Uh, by the way, this might be fun for you EU people, and maybe some US people as well, but uh, they still use uh, octane number 92, so they use the 92nd gasoline, and 95th one is really, really awesome. Uh, just a side note, 95th is the minimum you can get in, inside the EU, and then 98th is the one that we use for everything. And then gas, like diesel, is a special sort of beast. But like 92nd gasoline is considered, uh, we don't even sell that here, especially if it's leaded. So it is what it is. Currently, by the way, gasoline in Latvia, at least that's what I can speak about, stands at about 1 euro and 12 cents per liter, which would be about $4.5 per gallon. We measure that in liters, you know. In Russia, in Russia, the price of uh, 92nd gasoline has increased from 49.1 rubles in 2021 to 56.8 rubles per liter and right now, which means it's basically cost about 56 cents a liter or like $2.10 or about 2 euros per, per, per like gallon. Okay, because the sense, if I say sense, I mean euro sense, just saying, because, you know, you can just divide it because it's close to like currently the the thing with dollar is close to 100 rubles per dollar and it's like over 100 rubles per euro. So if like 56 rubles per liter is about 56 cents, 55 cents per liter, which is super cheap. However, it's going up and because the Russian population earns much less than we do in the West, that hits their pockets and that also hurts that inflation a lot. Now, as you see, Russian government, due to hold their corruption schemes and how they have basically a state monopoly on their oil and, and all natural resources, there are like main four companies in Russia who do all the oil business and all the gas business, right? And they're all like state-funded. They have relations to state, Gaz, Gazprom and Rosneft, I just do the main ones. But it's like, it's basically a state monopoly on gasoline there. So far, so that Putin would keep like good appearances up, and that Putin would keep you know some some sense of uh, sense of you know people being living prosperous lives and everything. There have been massive subsidies going on to these people, you know, who produce oil and gas, and there, there's of course massive corruption. However, there have been massive subsidies, and right now, well, right now these subsidies are gone, and I'll tell you why just in a second. But currently, the subsidies, massive, uh, massive damping subsidies. Uh, have uh, just gone right now, so the people who make the oil and then gasoline or petrol, if you're British, uh, from from the from the oil, you know, they they have just decided to you know let the market loose and finally start charging more. But seeing as the average Russian salary is way lower than here, again let me remind you that three hundred and fifty dollars per month is considered a really good salary in Russia. Moscow makes like average person in Moscow makes about. Now, 40,000 rubles is considered a good salary. And 40,000 rubles is, what, 400 euros? $420? So in regions, $350 would be considered awesome. So, obviously. But uh, they're not very rich, and their reliance on imported goods means that uh, they also overpay for everything and that they're all massively credited. About 63% of households have a lot of loans. And about 17% of households have uh, are spending about 53% of their income to just to manage their loans. Just saying. 
So it's a situation there which is not there for the long run, which is why Putin also kind of needed this war because his economy is just horrible. So what's happening is that subsidies are gone, gasoline's going up, uh, diesel is just out of reach for most of uh, agricultural business, and even after the so-called export ban, well, nothing really changes. The prices still go up because, again, you might prohibit exporting gasoline to other countries, but if your tanks and your vehicles take up all of it and you have no incentives to increase production, of course the prices will go up. Which is surprising since, you know, just two days ago, Mr. Vladimir Putin, in his 25th year of ruling in the Russian Federation, decided to learn something about basic economical rules. Which is, he was confused about the numbers I mentioned earlier in this episode where I spoke about how the price of gasoline has increased. And he said, well, despite the fact that there is now the export ban, why is the prices increasing? This is confusing. And he seemed genuinely surprised. Well, the prices are increasing because you have a monopoly situation in the, in the market where uh, you only have had a single supplier, well, four companies, technically, uh, which are all like government-sponsored, government-owned, and you have been giving them massive subsidies to keep the oil prices low, just so, you know, just so the local people could buy it, because competitive market prices, which means the ones that are like out there in the EU, would absolutely absolutely kill the car and vehicle market inside of Russia because no one would be able to drive anywhere. And if you haven't noticed, Russia is a, such a huge country that a lot of people need to drive in a lot of places a lot of time. I mean, it's huge. It's, it's so like inside Europe, inside Europe, okay, we can, we can choose to drive our bicycles and whatever. But if you try to bicycle from St. Petersburg to Moscow or even worse to Vladivostok, well, have fun doing months of that stuff. That's why they also have like a great internal aerospace market and everything. But the reason why these subsidies are gone and why people are feeling this is because, um, yeah, Russia has like more than doubled its war budget. It used to be like 5 trillion rubles, and I think they have doubled it like 2.2, 2 2.3, like 2 with something. I haven't seen the budget itself, but I've seen all the adequate numbers and analysis. So their, their weapons spending and their military budget spending is more than doubling. So, you know, if, if anyone in your government uh, tells you that you're trying to get Russia to talk or something, understand that Russia doesn't want to talk at this point at all. I mean, which country more than doubles, like 2.2, 2.3 times increases their, their weapons spending that, and then, you know, when it wants to sit down to a table? No, this is a statement. This is a statement that Putin wants to get a better position, that he, you know, is not ending the war anytime soon, that he's ready to blast off people's lives and property and do whatever it takes to get into a better position. Now, however, however, this is not a time for gloom and doom. If you understand that Russia started this war with already existing stockpiles of, of tanks and ammunition and everything, and a lot of this equipment is going to go to cover, for example, pensions and, and uh, premiums for soldiers' families who died this year, and Russia will most likely spend a lot of this money to bring up their equipment in order so that people have better rations, that they have more ammo, you know, basic needs. They have been provided guns, but, you know, everyday daily needs are just gone. This does not mean that they will increase their production twofold or anything like that. Also note that approximately half of this, if not more, will get stolen to do totally ever-present and complete corruption. However, this might improve the situation at the front for the basic Russian soldier. Because again, uh, one thing that to, rem to remember why, why everything is not horrible at this point is because Russia is already using everything that they have, except nuclear weapons, which might actually not work at this point, on the front lines. Therefore, 
if they double the budget, remember that about one budget of this year will get stolen, and then some soldiers will have like warm socks and something. But surely, yeah, something will go to produce more tanks, more artillery, and more something. What this shows is that Putin is determined to make the next year even more important than this one, and to push for some strategic victories in the front lines, at least what he hopes to see. However, there's a problem here, where, which is why I'm talking about the budget in depth at this point. And I don't even know when economy and economical issues became my specialty, but uh, I've learned a lot since, you know, political philosophy and history ties itself very close to economy, and uh, I've studied a lot of that lately. See, there's a little problem with everything else in the budget. Most of the numbers of it just does not add up, like nothing. If you look at the real numbers of what they predicted last year, uh, in the last year's budget, like the the budget for this year, which was made last year, predicted a 6% growth of the Russian economy, average inflation of 5%, which is now 17%, and all, all sorts of goodies. They have been lying constantly, and they're continuing to do so. And right now, the increase, like, the Putin has signed off on this plan, but the, the numbers just don't add up. What they do add up is the fact that they have cut the subsidies for oil producers, and the oil producers are now taking it out on the consumer, and they will do so until order from Kremlin doesn't come up and doesn't say to them, okay, guys, this might cause too much of social anxiety, so stop doing that. But they predict an increase of 30% of their tax income somehow next year. I wonder how they will do this when the bunch of when they have experienced a massive brain drain and a lot of their working population have, you know, just literally died or just ran away. They also predict somehow that uh, oil prices will continue to go up, which is kind of funny since if you think about it, I'm reading this oilprice.com, which is the industry magazine here, just to show you a big backdoor here. And right now, even the Saudis have understood that, you know, if oil costs like Brent, Brent costs a, a ba for a barrel about $100, that's harming the economy because economies are really bad. And if you overcharge for oil, that's just a short-term gain and long-term hurts everyone. So the oil prices are going to go down, especially knowing that Russia sells Urals brand of oil, not Brent, and Urals is like a bit more crude, a bit more worse, but they sell that one, which always costs a bit less than Brent, and Russia's budget now fluctuates on the fact that their own Urals are going to cost over 100, even though right now Brent costs 95, and Urals cost less than that, and they, the only people that they can sell it to, even without like the price, price gauge maximum, are Eastern countries, like India and China and North Korea, which uh, demand a massive, massive, massive discount. So that's a mess. Uh, the country is getting poorer. Taxes are being evaded as much as they can. Yet they predict a 30% increase in income and they just double their numbers willy-nilly. And that's not even counting in corruption. So <sighs> Vladimir Melov of Navalny's team, whom I consulted with while making this episode, told me that, yeah, he has no idea how these numbers can even, like, be functioning there. Basically, the whole budget plan is created for a single actor, for Vladimir Putin himself. But the budget does not look real. And they're, again, trying to, you know, as we say in this region, stuff macaronis on someone's ears or, you know, feed him false information, which is good for us, but bad for them. Because if you look at it carefully, yeah, no. Russia definitely, at least Putin, wants to make a statement by funding military insanely, but they just have no money. That's the problem here. And I'm not talking about, you know, some, some honestly made money. No, just that uh, turns out turns out that if you switch your, your companies from producing something that has value in the market that can produce more goods, 
to warp expenditures, then that's kind of bad. I mean, even Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, all these companies, right, Boeing, and then a European and uh, Airbus, Airbus forever, by the way, because I'm from EU, so go Airbus. Um, yeah, they, they might produce military stuff, right? They might produce, you know, airplanes and fighter planes and rockets and whatever, but they also produce civilian things, you know, things that produce value added. They produce value. If, if, if your factory produces a tractor, then the tractor will work and produce value, increase it because it'll carve a drain or something. But if you make a rocket, then okay, you can use it for scientific missions, which also produces value by, you know, in the form of knowledge, which is good. There is some overlap. But if, if your rockets only are supposed to be inaccurately striking Ukrainian civilians and then they explode, then yeah, you're technically you can write into your value added, you can write into your uh, GDP modules, gross domestic product modules, the fact that you know you've produced some sort of value, but the only thing you've produced is something that you shoot at other thing and you decrease your GDP and hopefully with a strike reduce other sides of GDP more. In the end, it's all weird. And again, you know, uh, the worst part is that I'm looking at these budget numbers and looking at how the West looks at them and uh, just feels kind of sad that sometimes, you know, everyone else is just catching up even behind me when it comes to the fact about the help Ukraine really needs and the fact that there's another governmental shutdown planned in the United States. Not the right time for this, guys. Not the right time. But yeah, see you back in October. And... Uh, well, hope that you, at least my finance nerds and economy nerds, I know that there's a bunch of you out there, enjoyed this episode. Again, like in the middle segment, please consider becoming our patron or donating to the Eastern Board LLV. But uh, yeah, we'll be back as I, as I get better numbers and as the situation in the front improves or worsens or, you know, the news in general. But for now, до свидания, товарищи. And as always, remember, happiness is mandatory.